0: Hey, everybody, if you have been loving the show so far, we would love your support in helping us grow. You can do that by subscribing and leaving us a review when you're finished with today's episode.
1: Thanks. Just very tender reminders of the gifts that we have and that we have a huge responsibility to help those that don't have those gifts. And where much is given, much is required. As we help those people around us reach their divine potential, we discover our own divine potential. I discover more about myself. I discover more about what I can give.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to She's Simply Amazing, a podcast all about sharing the stories of women that can inspire us to live a huge, beautiful, and amazing life. I'm your host, Carrie Brinton. Amy, welcome. Thank you so much for
1: coming it's on. It's a pleasure to be here. Why don't I love you, being here.
0: Good. Why don't you start by just telling us about
1: you? Okay, well, I am a mom of five, and actually, my daughter-in-law has worked at Elise. We and love her. So it's been awesome. I actually have kind of come to this position through serendipity, like, you never know where your life's going to turn. And... I just love having the opportunity to get to know the refugee community in Salt Lake. And I've discovered that you can have a multicultural experience in your own backyard, which is really rewarding. And we've also learned that social media can get a really bad rap, but we do a lot of what we do through our Serve Refugees social media feed to help people have opportunities to learn about refugees, to serve refugees, and give to refugees. And service has always been important to me. I love connecting people with opportunities to make a difference. And like I said, I kind of fell into this position and it kind of ended up being the amalgamation of a lot of my gifts and talents coming together to do something for the community. So talk about how service is obviously a huge part of your life at this point. It's
0: your career. How did you start getting into service? At at what point did you start
1: realizing this is going to be a big part of your life? Well, my dad was always great at bringing home people that we didn't know. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) And then we discovered their story and that they needed some love and support that maybe they weren't getting in their own environment. So it probably started with my parents always being very giving. And then when I was at the University of Utah, I was given the opportunity to create large scale service projects for University of Utah students. And I loved it. It was, was so fun. Was that just you volunteered for that position? Well, or? I was asked to do it and we worked with students in the community and we worked with the Benyon Center and we, we would do these secret service nights where we'd send people out on missions, like secret service missions in the community to do good, like visit senior citizens or take disabled people out to get ice cream. And it was so fun, first of all, to watch like the people that received the service go out to ice cream with these college students and they're disabled and they become friends. And then also to see what it did for the students, they were just like, that was so fun. That was a different kind of date. So I kind of started there. And then when my husband and I got married, we had the opportunity to help kids that would come from Chicago that had had cancer, they would come to Park City's adaptive skiing to do adaptive skiing through a special program they have up there, and we would help provide the meals so they could bring more kids. And these were kids that had an amputated arm, leg, or visually impaired, either because of the cancer treatments or because of their cancer. And We loved watching what would happen. Like they'd show up the first day and for a 16-year-old that loves basketball and has played basketball his whole life, to have your leg amputated seems like the end of your life. And we would see these kids start learning how to ski and their whole demeanor would change and they'd think, if I can ski, what else could I do? It helped them open their eyes to the opportunity of they didn't have to have a perfect body to be able to have joy and happiness. And we got to watch that every year. And we, d- we've, we still do that. And our kids love it. And then had the opportunity a couple of years ago to help with a holiday party for refugees as a volunteer. And it was really challenging to get all set up and have these families come through. But when they started coming through, I'm like, where did all these people come from? I had no idea we had that many refugees. And then to see people filling their needs at this event and socializing was really sweet. And then a couple of months later, I took a position to help with social media. And here and I am, you are. <laughs> four
0: years later, still doing the same thing. So let's talk about the refugee program. I'm not sure what the writer's here in Utah, because I think that ref, the refugee program for, for the United States in general has just become—people are becoming more aware of it. But just recently, I would say within the last five or so years, I think people are starting to realize what, what is going on in, our, in, in the world, who's coming to our country, and then specifically coming to Utah. But I do think that there's a lot of misinformation yeah. and a lot of questions still about what the refugee program is specifically. So can you start by telling us what exactly is a refugee? What does that term mean? What is—who does it encompass—
1: So refugees, there's lots of words thrown around, and I think refugees, the thing that makes them different is if they remain in their homeland, the Mm -hmm. place where they are, their life is in danger. So it could be because of political background, it could be because of their ethnicity, it could be because of their religion, but if they stay there, the potential for them to survive is very low. And so... Um, typically they flee their country to a secondary country and apply for refugee status. And refugee status means that, hey, if these people or this family stays in this certain country, they won't survive. And so there's an organization called UNHCR that determines which people are legitimately fleeing conflict or fleeing for their lives. It's just not like they're going, oh, we want to go to a little nicer place. Mm-hmm. They legitimately cannot stay where they are. So what happens is someone will flee their country, go to a secondary country, frequently find a refugee camp where they can be, and they apply for this refugee status. And it can take a very long time to get refugee status. And while they're in the refugee camp, they have kids, They have grandkids. Some have been there decades.
0: And I think that's one thing that people don't realize. I don't know that I realized that until recently watching some documentaries that we tend to think of refugee camps as just this layover spot. You get there, you're in this tent. That's kind of what we see on the news. You're in this tent. And then immediately you're taken and put in a better place. And that's not the situation at all.
1: No, you have generations that have lived in refugee camps and only 1%— of those refugees in refugee camps are ever granted refugee status and moved to a secondary safe country, 1%. So that means 99% of those refugees will typically stay there until it's safe to return to where they came from, or they may live their life out there in their entirety. So... It takes a lot to get refugee status, and once they do, then all of the countries that have committed to help with refugees and take a certain amount, they're assigned a country. They don't get a pick. They're assigned where they're going to go. They could go to Denmark. They could go to the United States. So they don't get a pick. Now, if they have family somewhere, they can put on their paperwork. We have family here, and sometimes that is honored, but it's kind of another lottery Do they get to go with their entire family? So if it's a mom and children? It depends. Like sometimes families have been spread apart and the family gets to the refugee camp without the dad and applies for refugee status and their paperwork goes through faster than the dad's. So Mm. it's, it's, I mean, it's, I don't think people really understand that. In Utah, we typically get about 1,200 refugees a year. Now that's changed with our current president and Mm. current administration, but We're very fortunate in Utah that there are a lot of nonprofits helping refugees navigate the first two years that they're here. So two of the main refugee nonprofits that help refugees when they first arrive are Catholic Community Services Mm -hmm. in Salt Lake and International Rescue Committee in Salt Lake. And they are kind of set up to help them navigate having an apartment, getting a job, kind of the basic necessities. And then we have all these other little nonprofits that help like the English Skills Learning Center helps them learn English. We have women of the world that typically helps single moms. And then we have people like us, Utah Refugee Connection, that we fill in gaps in services. And we also help create incentives for refugees to go to classes. And We're kind of who people call when there isn't anyone else to go. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, no one else fill this gap. Red alert, red alert, yeah. So a
0: refugee from the camp, they see that they've been assigned to a country, they Mm -hmm. receive a ticket. When they land here in the airport, is there a government agency
1: that assigns a caseworker? Yeah, so those two nonprofits are in charge of taking on that, and they usually have people there to welcome them, which is really cool. Like— um, before COVID, you could go and welcome a refugee <laughs> yeah. family, and they're just—they're so excited to be here, finally to be in a place that's safe and and calm. And they have all these dreams and hopes and aspirations. So,
0: but also, I would assume that the challenges don't necessarily end once you no. make it
1: to Utah. Oh gosh. I mean gosh. Like a whole, you're safe, you're safe? I call it climbing a mountain of glass after you've already climbed a mountain of glass because it's like you get here and you see all these beautiful things that you can partake of and be a part of, Mm -hmm. but you may not know the language. You don't know the culture. You've never had an apartment. You've never gone to school. Now, granted, there are a lot of refugees that have doctoral degrees, but there's a huge spectrum. Yeah, but... Then they've got to navigate a whole new system of figuring things out. And that's, that's why I love what I do is I get to help create connections. Like the most meaningful thing a refugee can have is a friend and an advocate. Mm. And so... When you meet a refugee family, they need to know how to ride the bus. They need to know where to grocery shop. They need to know how to access a doctor. They've frequently been in countries where there aren't libraries. They don't know about all these services and opportunities. And so just being a friend and helping someone navigate this new community is pretty important, but it is overwhelming when they first get here.
0: I can only imagine. I mean, on some of the things that we take for granted— they don't have. Like you said, it's it's a range, right? You have people that have come from living in very, very rural villages where there is no electricity. there is There are yeah. no urban schools. services and schools. And then, like you said, there's people that are very well-educated that maybe were in the political system, that they were yeah. educated people who were threatened for being educated. Yeah. So you have a range. And I I can see that there would be frustrations on both ends. I can imagine if I were an educated person that was very successful and had to flee. And then I come here and I lose all of that status. I yeah, lose all, all of that. All those credentials. Those credentials and the respect that I worked my life for, I can imagine that's got to be so dehumanizing. Yeah, I would, it's, I would think it's
1: challenging. Recently, I was talking to someone who was helping a refugee who had all these credentials and had done really well and had been in law in his country and now is driving a truck. Mm-hmm. That's a big life change. So, yeah, they 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 overcome a lot, but they also sacrifice a lot. Yeah. What country do a lot of these refugees come
0: from or is it a mix? So,
1: we really have a mix. Mm-hmm. Like, we have refugees from the Congo, we have refugees from Somalia, we have you know, they they're from all different countries. Like I said, we have South Sudan, we have The Bhutanese community, I mean, it's just really, really awesome. They're really from all different places, but a lot from the Middle East, a lot from Africa.
0: And so what is the ultimate goal of your organization? You said you kind of fill in the gaps, which Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense because there's probably so many gaps that need to be filled in.
1: So typically, the refugees that were helping, number one, have been here maybe longer than two years Mm -hmm. or have been here shorter but maybe need some extra help. And one of the things we do is we partner with organizations that are already doing good things that maybe need some extra support. Like there's a global girls volleyball program. And when we first started working with them, they didn't have a lot of support. Mm-hmm. But they had all these girls that have never played competitive sports, don't know about sports. And it's so much a part of American culture right. that these girls wanted to learn something but didn't know how. Like, they just didn't have a lot of support. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we started putting volleyballs and sports hijabs and knee pads on our Amazon registry and started getting them some of the supplies that they needed. And then people would say, well, I play volleyball. I want to come volunteer. And so we connected people that had skills in the volleyball kind of world with these girls that didn't know much about. Sports in America and volleyball is kind of a a good gateway sport because most people haven't played it before right. outside of the U.S. I can't say that for sure, but <laughs> these girls, especially in countries where it's maybe not
0: politically acceptable yeah, for it's girls ex- to, yeah, play to play,
1: for. to see them learn this sport and just see what it did for them, and now there's some really good teams. Like you, watch out for some of these teams; they're good and. One of my favorite experiences, I was at the International Charter School where a lot of them practice, and it was after school, and this Muslim girl with her sports hijab was doing a really good serve. And this boy walked over to her and said, how do you do that? (laughs) That is so cool. And so it was really cool to see her teaching this individual, this boy, how to serve volleyball. And it was kind of like I don't know, I kind of was, yes, I was really proud. Like, she felt, like, rewarded for, for that time. Yeah, and that's what that does. So we help a lot of programs like that that maybe need some extra support, like English classes. They want to get more refugees to come, but the refugees are have to sacrifice that time mm-hmm. and energy, and we'll give— We'll say, okay, if you show up to eight classes, we'll give you a cleaning kit. You show up to eight classes, we'll give you diapers for a week. You show up to eight classes for your citizenship, then we'll give you such and such. So it incentivizes them to yeah. help themselves. So you know what I love about that volleyball story that you just yeah. told me is that y-
0: you would not think, when you think of refugees, you're like, okay, they got to learn English. They got to get a job. They need the basics yeah. supplies. Learning to play volleyball is not on the list of really important things that they need to do, right? No, but it's
1: so good for it's them. It's so
0: good, and yeah. I just love that story that somebody out fun. there, yeah, they some, need fun. Yeah, somebody out there said, "I want to help. I have this skill. Yeah. Let me see what I can do to combine my desire to serve and my skill set." And I think that's a big thing to realize that service doesn't have to be something specific. It doesn't have to be on the list of key. Yeah. You know, life saving priorities. It can be these
1: little things. Okay. Can I tell you a funny story about that? Yeah. So I had a guy reach out to me that's a magician and he's oh. a balloon artist. And he's like, I'd really like to help the refugees. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, what am I going to do like, with I the don't magician? Think they <laughs> <need this?" laughs> so, like, the next week, I had Promise South Salt Lake reach out to me and they do a lot of after school programming and they were trying to do. A pro or something in the afternoon or evening when parents to get parents to come with their kids to do something uh-huh. guess what i had the perfect person to like do something really <laughs> yeah. fun so this guy has done several magic shows and does balloons for refugees and i'm like finding your gifts and talents in a way to share it you just never know when it's going to bless lives. Well,
0: oh, I think you know? it's always going to yeah. bless lives, yeah. right?
1: Like you said, but but you didn't, he didn't. This no. magician didn't think, oh, I'm going to go and do lots <laughs> it's of really magic critical shows. work. Yeah, but he brought so much joy and happiness, and I just think there's a lot of people like that. Well,
0: like you said, one of the most important things for people to have, and not even just refugees, all of us, is that connection and that friend. And so if it's playing volleyball and meeting girls on a volleyball team, Mm -hmm. if it's going to an event with your parent and there's a guy there making balloons or teaching you magic or just making you laugh and you feel like you're part of the community, you're connecting to this new culture, it's so so important and it's critical. I mean, I do a lot of work in Zambia. I've mentioned that before, but one of the things that we do while we're there is a spa day for these girls. I get all of the vendors from my businesses and they donate product. And you might think, you're going to go across the world and give them facials and paint their nails. But they
1: feel so special. They
0: feel so special. And yeah. th- they look forward to it every single year. And it's those little teeny tiny things are— a big are, deal. They are. They're a big deal.
1: It's beautiful, too, to learn what different cultures do for beauty. Like one of my favorite experiences, I was sitting in a sewing class, and we had Middle Eastern women, and we had African women, and we had all these different women. And one of the, the women started talking about threading of— Oh, the brows, yeah. And this African woman had never seen that. She was totally intrigued. And then in the middle of the sewing class, all of a sudden this lady is— showing how she does threading because we had thread thread. there, showing this African how they do threading to get rid of hair. And it was just so enjoyable to sit and watch how different cultures see beauty, how different cultures do what they need to do to make themselves beautiful.
0: That's interesting, too. I think sometimes we think of the term refugee in our heads. It's like the same group of people, like they all know each other (laughs) Kind of thing. No, and they're from all over all the these world too, cultures, and so yeah. they're lumped into this group of
1: refugees. But yet they have very distinct cultures and personalities, and they're they just different needs. Yeah, different foods. Yeah, I mean different the celebrations. Sports, the job. Oh yeah, the sports a job. Yeah, we don't. Who think about have that? that? Yeah, nope. Yeah, it's <laughs> never awesome. thought about that. Yeah. So, tell us about specifically some of the
0: programs that your organization runs. They're so cool. What okay, is-
1: so some of our favorite things that we do that are really meaningful is we have an international Women's Day celebration where women from all these different countries come together and we just celebrate the diversity and the sisterhood that we share. And it's on International Women's Day, which is usually early spring. And then we have a Mother's Day event where we invite just any of the refugee women that want to come and we usually have some food and we have gifts and just try and help them know that we appreciate them as mothers and a part of our community. And we usually hold them in schools. We have an awesome partnership with Granite School District because 70% of the refugees are in that district. Mm-hmm. And we want those cultures to feel comfortable in schools, especially if they haven't had a lot of access. It can be very intimidating to go into a school or a church that you've never been to. I mean, we've all felt like this is my first time coming Mm -hmm. and you're awkward, but if they come to an event at a school, then they're more likely to go to the school for support and help. So We have a Mother's Day event, and then another really cool event we do is we collect backpacks for refugee kids. This year, we collected 5,000 backpacks. It was amazing. People were so awesome, and we usually have a big back-to-school celebration with bounce houses and face painting and dancing and pizza, and the refugees come. They learn about services that are provided in the community. They get a backpack, and then they come out to this carnival. And unfortunately, we couldn't have that this year, but that's an awesome event. And every kid that starts school loves to know that they're prepared, whether it's with clothes or with a backpack. If you're new in a country and you haven't had the opportunity to go to school, having a backpack Mm -hmm. full of school supplies gives you greater confidence. confidence. And it's so beautiful to see these kids pick out their backpack, put it on, and just leave excited for school, so that's an event that we do, and and it's it's crazy, but it's awesome.
0: Okay, let me interrupt, yeah. and then we'll get back to the event. Yeah. But I have a quick just a question: What kind of success do we see with refugee
1: children in schools? Are they able to refugee and stay children like refugee children like mm-hmm. I would say kids that arrive, obviously from just being born to maybe twelve, mm-hmm. do much better. Mm-hmm. Because they learn English so fast mm-hmm. in the schools, I mean they just they just pick it up really quick, and teenagers it's a lot harder being a teenager is hard anyway, but trying to navigate in a new language, high school culture, especially if you have a hijab or you're mm-hmm. you look different than everyone else is really hard and I think they struggle more that's why I love the volleyball program and the soccer program that we support because they need positive things. I always say the older you get, the harder it is. We all know, like, if we try and learn something new, like whether it's music or language as an older person, it's just hard. It's kind of not happening sometimes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. like, you know, so you have these kids that learn English very fast and become the translators for their parents, and they take on major responsibilities because they can navigate the community and the language. But also, it's so cute. I was at an English class, and one of my favorite videos I've ever taken is where this older lady—she's got to be maybe in, I don't know, her 80s—is mm-hmm. counting to 10 oh. in English. And she's so proud of herself. Just learning, learning it for yeah. the first time. So, you know, the younger you are, obviously, the easier it is to navigate and do well in school.
0: And you said most—I
1: oh, have
0: so many questions. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think you told me there that there's how many currently
1: how many refugee so families. So we have sixty five thousand refugees in Utah.
0: I don't think I would. That's have enough to fill like BYU Stadium. Yeah, I would that have gives never you an have idea. guessed that because yeah. when you say we get twelve hundred a year, what you don't realize is then over they, a they years, stay, yeah, and, so and they have kids, 000. yeah, and then you said a, a good. Majority of them are
1: consolidated in Granite School School District District, because that's where the affordable housing is. Is that like South Salt Lake area? South Salt Lake has a lot of refugees. Okay, a lot of government housing. That's well, it's not even particularly government housing as it is just affordable housing. It's a major issue. I mean, it's a major affordable housing is a major issue in our community, and it's even more difficult with refugees, especially because a lot of them have large families. Mm -hmm. So. Typically, they are in areas where there is much more affordable housing. Like, people will say, well, I never see refugees. Do we even have refugees? Right, and right. I'm kind of like, well, you kind of have to step out of your comfort zone. I frequently tell people, drive, like, go to 7th East, drive down 33rd South uh-huh. to Redwood Road and look at every bus stop. Because you'll see the Nepalese men with their little hats. You'll see women in their hijabs, and you'll see all these different people waiting for the bus and walking, and then go down Redwood Road and come up thirty nine hundred South, and just kind of do a loop and be observant. Yeah. Be observant, and and they're in our communities. They're in our stores, serving us as cashiers, and they're running Seven Elevens, and we have no idea, and we don't know what they've been through, and we don't know like they're heroes. A lot of them have been through amazing, I mean, things that would make us really fall apart. Mm -hmm. And they continue to fight, and they continue to give, and they continue to be a part of the community. And we're just not aware. So just being more aware.
0: You said something that I thought was so insightful, and I'll let you re-say it, but you said intelligence and talent and skill are universal. What's not universal is opportunity.
1: Oh, for sure. So, you know, we kind of take for granted that we'll go to public education, Mm -hmm. we'll possibly go to college. And we have all these people all over the world that are just as creative, just as intelligent. They have these talents and gifts. But when you're struggling to survive, Mm -hmm. you can't really see the manifestation of those gifts. If you never go to school, you can't see the manifestation of those gifts. So, those. Creative, smart people, they're everywhere, but the opportunities aren't. It's kind of like I was telling you about the girl that came from a country where lots of girls don't go to school, and she heard that when you go to the United States, girls get to go to school. Mm -hmm. And she was so excited. And she got here and she was too old to go to public school. She was so mad. So she got a job being a custodian at a university, just made her so mad. (laughs) All these right. kids are going to school, and she's not. And so she decided to get her GED, go to college, and now she's in medical school. And she had that talent and that drive. She just needed that She just needed the opportunity and a place to to do it. And we don't realize that that is a gift. Yeah. Just the opportunity to go to school, to be what you want to be, is a gift.
0: It is such a gift, and it's one that we just take for granted that it's, that's yeah. available to all of us. Okay, I'm going to back up because okay. I... You were oh, going, events. Yeah, we were, yeah we were talking about all talking your about. events and I stopped because I had so many questions. So you said you've got the Women's Day, the Mother's Day, yeah. the volleyball program. Tell me about so some So Halloween,
1: events. Halloween's really hard for refugees because it's creepy <laughs> and they've seen creepy <laughs> like, things. so you're celebrating <laughs> yeah, you evil? Think, yeah, like, yeah and, that's awesome. and, and there's things hanging in trees and they've seen awful things. And so it can be very traumatizing. And in my former life, I taught school and I remember I had a a girl come to school on Halloween that didn't have a costume. And the Halloween parade went through the whole school in front of everyone, and there she was with no costume. And it, I you can tell I can still have regrets about that, that mm-hmm. I didn't know or wasn't aware as a first-year teacher that I should have some costumes on hand. And I thought about refugees and this culture of dressing up. And so we decided to do a non-gory, fun Halloween party where refugee kids could come and pick out a costume, which is a managerial nightmare. <laughs> but when they put on that costume and become a princess or a dinosaur or— You have a or, picture on your social media of one yeah, being a little Superman. Oh, my gosh. It, they magically transform. Horror. And then you go to the apartments like months later, just like other kids, they're wearing those costumes. Yeah, yeah. Or they're wearing them because they keep them warm. So we have this Halloween event and then we have a holiday event that's amazing where we have about 500 families that come and we have Santa, we have a black Santa that is an elementary school principal that rocks it as Santa. (laughs) And we have a photo booth because lots of refugees don't have pictures. We have face painting, we have craft where they can make a present for their parent. And we give each kid a small gift, each teenager a gift, and each family a gift. And so we do that every holiday. Unfortunately, we're doing holiday bags instead this year. But we still have a goal to serve 500 families with something for the holidays. So
0: Now, how do you connect with these families and let them know that it's available?
1: It's magical. You start to tell the community leaders. Like, Mm -hmm. we are really connected with, like, the Bhutanese community leader, the South Sudanese leader. And as soon as you let them know there's going to be a party, they show up. Okay. And so they just come and— like I said, the holiday event, it's like United Nations holiday event. You have all these different cultures and they show up. And so like with the backpacks this year, we couldn't do our big carnival. So we re- reached out to nonprofits that we know serve refugee children and teenagers and distributed backpacks to them. And then we also reached out to these different community leaders from the different like I said, from the different countries and they're good at distributing stuff and getting things out in the community. And they can identify sometimes better than we can who really needs things. So we'll do that again with the holiday bags that we're doing. So it'll be really fun because they'll come pick them up and then they'll get them out to their community members.
0: Now, one of the coolest things about this, your organization or this area of service opportunity is just that it brings that multicultural experience right here in your own backyard. I think like I said, I do some I do work in Africa and I actually travel there, but that's yeah. not available, that's not accessible I to think, everyone. To everyone. Mm-hmm. But it is such an amazing experience to learn about and immerse yourself in other cultures. That's part of
1: why I love it is you're learning more. You're serving yeah, but you broadens learning. your perspective on yeah. just thinking about things differently than you normally do. Yeah. Like I went to a baby shower once and I'm glad I asked before I went like what, what would happen, yeah, and normally, I would have gone gotten some onesies and diapers and brought them, and okay, it's totally different, no no onesies, <laughs> no, you don't you bring money, oh. and the money goes to the person who the baby is going to be named after because that person is going to give that baby a very special gold piece of jewelry hmm. and so I didn't know that, so luckily, I learned. But it was so beautiful. We all sat on the floor and we ate food together. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of just eating, they started chanting and singing a song. And then all the women started like chanting with them. It was like a lullaby. Like a okay. Yeah. And I was like, I was so overcome with emotion, and I didn't even know what they were saying. And then they brought the the person that was going to to that the baby's named after and the, the person presented the baby with a gift
0: mm-hmm. of
1: this jewelry. And I'm like, that's a whole different perspective. They were honoring an aunt mm-hmm. and someone that they were named after. They thought really critically about the name and we showed up and there was so much food and so many people. It was just, it was really beautiful. And I'm like, that's a, that's kind of a fun way to do a baby so shower. So meaningful, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of cultures
0: assign a lot more meaning to events than we do in America.
1: Sometimes oh yeah, and they last are, a long
0: time. We yeah. want to get in, get out,
1: <laughs> drive by. Yeah. I think people love the drive by like wedding things yeah. lately because uh, it's like I'm raising it. my hand because no, yeah. they it's like all day long, and you stay and yeah. you eat and you stay and we kind of water things really down and at, speed them not, up in America. Yeah. And yeah, the purpose of those is to develop relationships. Yes. And we're kind of like, well, we don't You're have like, time I'll text for that. You. I'll yeah, just text you. Yeah, so yeah, I'm learning some really good things, and I'm I've made some mistakes. I've really offended some refugees on occasion, but not intentionally, yeah. because you just don't know what they're what they expect. But it's it's really beautiful to have, like you said, you don't have to go far away. Right. you can have a a multicultural event in your own backyard. Also, going to churches, like Baptist churches, mosques. I mean we need to do some amen and hallelujahs in our own churches and spice it up a little bit because some of these other churches are so fun to go to. I'm
0: so glad we're talking about this because I, Utah is a very homogeneous culture, and I know people are listening to this podcast yeah. outside of Utah, but we're in Utah, and it is very homogeneous. It's very, very similar. So, I love that you're you are exposing me and everyone who's yeah. listening to the fact that there is so much diversity. There is so much opportunity to get immersed in other cultures. Well, and we're
1: really good at saying, hey, come go to my church. Come go to my event. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, the best thing you can do—we're having these Meet the Muslim nights, which is kind of a, a funny twist because usually yeah. it's Meet the Mormons night. But hey. <laughs> you go and you, you're, you meet the Muslims, and you get to experience what they experience in their mosque and learn more about them and ask questions. And— it's enlightening. I go to the Buddhist temple and I'm treated like a queen. They give me a scarf. I'm like, we're missing out on just having it be one way. Let's yeah. let's go eat their food. Let's go to their businesses. Let's, you know. Well, you're inspiring me
0: with so many di- new ideas of things. Oh, that there's I never a food truck
1: of. that that is this really cute Somali couple run and their food is so good and i'm like so many people just pass by it cuz they think oh it's different ethnicity we might not like it well go try it and that we share and stuff support. on our social media feed like okay here's how you can support refugees go patronize their businesses, learn about them, go to meet the Muslims night, find different ways to connect yourself to something besides what's normal for you.
0: And so you show a lot of this on your social media. I've yeah. also seen on your website, you have a really cool section yeah. on your website where it's how to get involved. And then there's 10 different yeah. things and it's events. It's
1: Yeah. So we try really hard. Like I said, we're not just posting things that we do. We're right. trying to share information. Like on our website, we have all the local providers for refugees. So like we have a provider page that says, who teaches English? There's actually an organization, Utah Health and Human Rights, that help victims of, for lack of a better word, they've been tortured. Refugees that have been tortured, that is what they do. And they have a knitting group. They do things to help them. They need massage therapists. We're constantly sharing different ways. We don't run the volleyball program, but we're going to connect what, needs to be done for that program. So we're kind of a gateway to other opportunities that maybe are more down your road, Mm -hmm. but you just have to first start to investigate and see what you feel like you want to be a part of.
0: That's really cool. I love that creating those opportunities is such a big part of what you do.
1: One of the things that's interesting is I don't really care who gets credit Mm -hmm. for something happening in the refugee community as long as the need gets met. And so I think for a lot of nonprofits and a lot of organizations, that's a new novel way because they're fighting for funding. They're fighting for right. grants. They're fighting.
0: You have to have and, a presence in and the I'm grants, kind And I
1: kind of feel like we need a little bit different perspective that we need to say, hey, whatever is going to serve the refugee community the best, we should be doing and supporting. And it might be my organization. I can't teach all the English classes. I'm going to help the English Skills Learning Center do what they do. I can't support all of the single refugee moms. I'm going to help women of the world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be all about us and me and our organization. Let's connect people with the right avenue for them to make the difference with the skills that they have.
0: Well, and service should really be about that, right? It shouldn't be about what you can post on but your sometimes social it's media. It's not. That's right. Sometimes yeah. it's not. <laughs> but maybe you can start there yeah. and then once you get yeah, once, yeah. once you get the feeling that you can recognize that service really should be anonymous and it should be Done in humility, and it should be done with the intention of I don't need or want, or nor should I get any mm-hmm. credit. It
1: should just be about getting. And that social met. media makes that a little difficult because it does. Yeah,
0: you, you have, have to promote. Want, it, yeah, but people want yeah,
1: to right? talk about what their kids do and don't want to come across as bragging. Like I love it when kids come in with backpacks that they've put together for Aww. refugees and they want to take a picture in front of our sign and. We don't want to come across as these white saviors, but at the same time, the more people are aware of Mm -hmm. what needs to be done, the more it gets done. And so social media, with sharing and all the different things, makes it possible for more people to get involved and do what needs to be done for this very vulnerable and, and unique population. And so we have to kind of walk a fine balance I just can't even tell you how beautiful it is to see people in the community come together in such remarkable ways to do what they can. And it could be as simple as offering your porch to collect something or rallying your neighborhood. You might not have money to do something, but you can certainly rally people around you Mm -hmm. who could help. And I get to see that all the time. I mean, it's just, it kind of blows my mind the beautiful people there are in our community that want to make a difference in so many different arenas, whether it's homeless, veterans, children, mental health. And I get to see the best of humanity as we do our work, and it's really rewarding.
0: So I want to ask you about one more program okay. that you have, and then we'll move to okay. just some of your kind of okay. overall thoughts about service and what you okay. do. You have what you call the ShareHouse. Yeah, Tell me
1: about that. Okay, so our share house has kind of evolved through the years. We used to be at the Granite High School old gym until it got demolished, and we could collect anything and everything. We had a massive amount of space. And these are just private people that bring you the things Yeah, and we post on social media what we need. We really, like— Like you need laundry detergent. Yeah, so what happened is we went from this giant gym Mm -hmm. to two portable classrooms— next to Lincoln Elementary and we had to downsize and we had to really think specifically, what is our niche? How can we help? And so we moved 92 pallets of stuff that people had donated out of that gym and downsized to two portable classrooms. Is that hard enough? Do you know what? It was really good because we got really efficient. Mm -hmm. So we know where to send people to get bikes we you know, where to send people to go get clothing. That, so the needs still being met, maybe just but not just out different. of Yeah, and we learned we could provide incentives for classes. So we collect cleaning kits. We collect very specific essential kits, and you can find those on our website, on serverefugees.org, on our social media we constantly post exactly what we need on social media like yeah like, like you like,
0: gave me we're we're doing this for our yeah. our work revenue there's like exactly
1: 2 ounces of liquid yeah. laundry detergent because we've learned through the years like we used to collect feminine hygiene supplies uh-huh. no one was taking the tampons so why should we take why do because we collect because that's not part of most cultures yeah right? and so we we've, we've learned we had all this colored dish soap or plain i should say Clear dish soap no one would take because refugees didn't think it cleaned because it oh. didn't have a color. Or we learned that people weren't taking the the powdered dish soap or powdered laundry soap because sometimes they were washing in the tub and it didn't dissolve. And so we've learned over the years what specifically to collect. Yeah, how to adapt. And a we try lifestyle. really hard. To be as efficient, we don't want stuff sitting in our sharehouse. We don't. We can't afford that space to be. We can't afford clear liquid detergent on our shelves or tampons that take up space. We need exactly what's needed in the community. So, the sharehouse. We collect costumes at Halloween time. We collect very specific items during the holidays. We come up with kits for Mother's Day. But you can learn exactly what we're looking for if you follow us on Serve Refugees on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and then you can also go to our website. And it will also tell you what's high need, what's low need, what are we doing well on. A couple of weeks ago, we didn't have size six diapers, so we just said, hey, go buy them off our registry or bring them to us. Now we're totally set on size six diapers. So it's really amazing what the Sharehouse does. And just to give you an idea, we we, through those two portables, give out a million dollars worth of products and services that benefit refugees in the community. Wow. A million dollars in a year. And that's all through donations. We're not buying those things. People are finding out what's needed and bringing them to us. So let's—I
0: want to talk about some of, like, your overall philosophies about service, and Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we were talking about earlier is one of the challenges I think that people have when they they want to start—when they want to do something— beyond not knowing where to go, which we've talked about extensively, is I think sometimes people think that it has to be a big thing. It doesn't. It has to not just be me bringing diapers in. I somehow need to create a big social media presence and do a giant diaper drive. So just talk about that idea. I frequently say
1: you don't have to do everything for everyone, but you can do something for someone. And we would have groups that would bring in 10 backpacks and someone would be bringing in one or two with their child Mm -hmm. and feel a little bit badly. And I'm like, then they'd tell me their kids did chores and earned the money. They went shopping and they brought the backpack. And I'm like, that's two kids that are going to start school with what they need Mm -hmm. to have a successful start. And it's no less important that there's 10 or there's 2. Yeah. And I think sometimes I in my neighborhood you feel like you have to take a treat or you have to <laughs> yeah. do something. Yeah. Well, just stopping and saying, "Hey, I was thinking of you and I just want to say thanks for what you contribute to my neighborhood." Or sending a text is is super meaningful. Yeah. So, so we don't have to do a big production. And I think that, you know, that little boy or that little
0: girl that has the backpack on mm-hmm. the first day of school they don't know if that backpack came from a single person dropping off one backpack, or if that backpack came from a giant together, yeah. drive. They don't yeah. know. They don't care. But in their lives, that one backpack makes a difference. Makes a huge difference. Same yeah. thing with those diapers. Yeah. That mom that needed those size six diapers, she doesn't care if yeah. they got dropped off because you had an urge and you ran into Walmart and just yeah. dropped them off. Yeah. It doesn't. It's make so a sweet. Like
1: uh, you know. There was one girl who found out we were low on diapers and she said, I just couldn't imagine what it would be like to be a mom and not have the diapers I needed. And she just asked some friends and brought in some diapers and it wasn't a huge giant donation. It was something simple, but it made a difference for the woman that received those diapers. So yeah, we we get caught up in a big production and it doesn't have to be a big production.
0: I love that. And I just, I just love so much that your organization has so many different ways to getting involved personally, attending these events, which I feel like is oh, more of a... One thing
1: I didn't, we didn't talk about are the cultural nights. Oh, yeah. And okay. we usually do those quarterly, but COVID has changed things, but they're coming back eventually. But we'll have the different communities, like I said, the Congolese or the South Sudanese will come and Four or five of them will speak about their experience of what got them here, what's helpful, what's not helpful. There's, <laughs> sometimes we need to know what's not helpful, yeah. and then they'll share food from their culture. Sometimes they'll dance and make you dance with them. Those are awesome because you get to hear from these people directly what their experience is and what's helpful and what's not helpful. And can anybody attend? Yeah. It's open to the general community. We have them usually at the Granite School District main offices. Like I said, we partner with Granite School District on a lot, and their educational equity department is amazing because they really want every student, regardless of where they come, to feel a part of the community and have academic success. And so I can't say enough about the educational equity department at Granite School District. They've been so supportive, and our partnership with them is awesome.
0: Yeah, I know they do so much for low-income families in in Utah. I love this multicultural events, and I hear so many, and I say this too, so many people say, oh, I wish my kids
1: could see what other people experience. I wish my kids could experience. The youth that come to those cultural nights are blown away. Yeah. And then they're like— hey, what do you guys need? We want to collect something. What can we do? sparks that fire in them. my favorite thing is we just posted a video of a girl named Paula who is a local refugee who was born premature in a refugee camp. And she was so early, the doctors didn't think they could save her, so they threw her in the trash. And a nurse saw her and heard her story and decided to go get her out of the trash. And I met... Paula about a year and a half ago when she gave a speech saying she was given new life twice once when she was pulled out of the garbage can in a refugee camp and again when she came to the United States she's a senior at Olympus High so all of a sudden there are some kids at Olympus Olympus High that have had their eyes opened oh I should probably get to know her and know her story and Wow. I can learn so much from yeah, her. Those eye-opening experiences mm-hmm. are really good for adults and teenagers. Well, if you
0: can get that spark in you from a young age, I mean, you can yeah, do so much Yeah, my kids last more.
1: year were giving me a list of all their holiday items, uh-huh. and I was kind of miffed because I had just come <laughs> from a refugee home where the teenagers asked me for toilet paper for Christmas. And it's kind of like you just go, oh, we don't get it but just very tender reminders of the gifts that we have and that we have a huge responsibility to help those that don't have those gifts. And where much is given, much is required. And I also think one of my favorite things is I was looking at some pictures from our back-to-school event from like four years ago and saw a couple of the kids that I know that that had backpacks at that event who are now in college on scholarship. And I think as we help those people around us kind of reach their divine potential, we discover our own divine potential. I discover more about myself. I discover more about what I can give. And I find that there are a lot of women, especially as they get to the time period when their kids are starting to leave Mm -hmm. home, that are lost
0: because
1: they've given so much time to their children and they come and volunteer or start doing something and they realize they have something to offer and all of a sudden they magically like come out of their shell again. Like I was a mom for all these years and I'm still a mom, but I can also give something. And so like I said, as you divinely help those people around you discover who they are, you become more of who you are. And that's why I'm like, it's really hard to, think about ever not doing this job because I'm becoming more of who I think I'm supposed to be. And I get to see people discover that as well. It's really rewarding.
0: That's so beautiful. I was going to ask you, give me your summary thoughts on service, but I, don't, I can't think of a better way to summarize the value of service in someone's life other than helping others and yourself become who you're divinely intended to be. And I couldn't agree with More with
1: what services. Well, and I think too when I speak, I am always excited when people want to help refugees. But I think when you explore the various avenues and possibilities that are available to you in the community and what you want to do, as you start looking into things and exploring what's out there, you get this information and the information can lead to inspiration as to what you should do. And of course, I want you to come help refugees, <laughs> but I also want you to find what is meaningful for you. And it it may be you need to do some exploring and you need to see what's out there and what your talents are and what your skill set is and then find ways to use that and discover the population that could use what you have to offer. And it sometimes takes a long time and sometimes you fall into it like I did. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But we all have something to offer. We absolutely all have something to offer.
1: We all have value and skills that someone can benefit from, and we should never discount that in ourselves.
0: Oh, this has been the best conversation ever. Thank you so much. I always wish that we could make these episodes two
1: hours long. It's all good. No one would listen.
0: No, I think they would. (laughs) They would would love it. No, they would love it. I know everyone would love it. All right. We've mentioned it a couple of times, but Amy, give me summary
1: where people follow you on social okay, media. Okay. So, so we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter on Serve Refugees. Okay. So any of those feeds. Okay. And then our website is serverefugees.org. Okay. And you can find lots of information on the website. and. Our nonprofit is the Utah Refugee Connection, and our goal is always to help you have opportunities to learn about refugees, serve refugees, and give to refugees in ways that make sense to you and that are meaningful to refugees.
0: Okay, now this, today is Giving Tuesday. This will air
1: next week, actually. What needs do you have right now for the Christmas so season? So we're doing 500 holiday bags, and inside those holiday bags, we're doing a $25 gas or grocery card. And you said Maverick and Walmart mm, are, are the best really ones, good because right? they can identify those. Mm-hmm. Chevron—it's sometimes hard to tell—is that a Chevron? Yeah. Is that a Sinclair? So that's good. And then we're giving each family the game Twister so they can learn colors and do something together. <laughs> what's more it's American, really American than Twister? <laughs> it's really basic, and we couldn't—it was going to be too hard to figure out how many kids are. In the Family, how many teenagers And specific? You didn't want to the overwhelm bags? them with Monopoly no, or something? No, oh gosh, payday, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then in that bag, also Minky Couture has come through and is giving us blankets for like cost. Oh wow, they're being, and do you know how soft and comfy and how awesome that will be for refugee families to yeah. have that blanket? And then we discovered pretty quickly this year that refugees weren't prepared for the holiday or for disasters. So we have a Red Cross kit that we're putting in each bag. Mm-hmm. So there's the grocery and gas gift cards, there's Twister, there's the Minky Couture blanket, and there's the Red Cross. And you can go to our social media feed or our website and you can make a donation right. toward that. Or you can go get Twister games and have your kids write a little note and bring it to our share house. The gift cards, we went through $3,000 in grocery gift cards just last week for families that didn't have food and so those are so highly needed and we're going to collect those all the way until the end of December and you can find more information about that as well we're hoping to have twister and like our holiday campaign kind of come to an end about the 9th of December uh-huh. yeah, so so time. so next week so you know, but you'll probably, I'm sure,
0: take donations yeah. anytime. And yeah. your website is really easy. You can go on, you can select how much yeah. you want to
1: donate, and you can assign. And it the to click, yeah, the cl- you can sponsor a whole family. You can donate $10. You can donate $25, and we'll take care of it. So lots of ways to get involved. Thank you so much for coming oh, on it's today. It's a pleasure to be here. And like I said, you can't do everything for everyone, but you can do something for someone. So find someone today you can do something for. Thanks, Amy.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of She's Simply Amazing. If you are loving this podcast and getting so much out of it, please help us grow it. You can subscribe to the podcast and share each episode that you love. You can join our community on Instagram by following at Simply Amazing Podcast. And please, please, if you're loving this, go leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Those reviews really help us grow. We'll see you next week.